give you a quick uh, recap over the last, really, chapter 1. Chapter 1, something happens, something that we've been waiting for for hundreds of thousands of years. The Messiah, God, he comes down on the highway that has finally been prepared by, by Mark, right? Uh, not by Mark, but by, by John the baptizer. And, and Jesus identifies with the Jews. He identifies with the nation of Israel as he passes through the waters, as he is led into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. The difference is that Jesus does what they were not able to do. And Jesus, he, he's able to do this perfectly. He shows that he is the one that we have been waiting for. And so last week, Peyton um, taught class, and he covered these, these great passages of Jesus' ministry. The kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is near. And he preaches repentance. He preaches belief in the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he calls his first disciples. And as all of this is happening, you just get the sense that something big is about to happen. And it does. Somebody read for us verses 21 and 22. And they went to, into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus comes to what place, what city, town? Oh yeah, Capernaum. Now, guess what? Luke doesn't tell us, uh, of course, uh, why he comes to Capernaum. He doesn't tell us, like Matthew, that this became Jesus' headquarters. Uh, this became the place he, he lived. Uh, and as I said, Mark just doesn't tell us a lot of details. He's rushing through this thing, and you're going to see that a little bit more as we go. But we do know this would be an excellent place for mission to be done, for Jesus' mission to be done. And one of the reasons is the main roads that run through. There's the Via Maris uh, that runs up this way, and you see it hits Galilee. Here's the King's Highway, and here this, there's this road that that also takes one to the next. This became a very important hotspot um, of things. Now, uh, Capernaum is located on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. These are the ruins of this particular place. You can kind of see where a lot of these ruins uh, would be located in this area. Uh, many, Mostly it was made up of Jews. There were fishermen. There were farmers. There were merchants. Uh, there were artisans, and they even had tax collectors. And, and we'll talk about a tax collector a little bit later on. There was also a Roman garrison that was located in this area because, of course, the Romans always have to have their, their place. Uh, and it seems like that the Jews had very good relationships with the Gentiles. Mark doesn't tell us that, of course. Uh, but Luke tells us that there was a centurion, they actually built the synagogue there um, at Capernaum for the Jews. And they, they will later, the Jews, they will go to Jesus on his behalf of a request that he makes. So it, it certainly seems that, that they have some pretty good relationships. The ancient synagogue, um, these are the ruins 
that are there in Capernaum now. Now, those ruins go back to the 4th century A.D., so these would not have been the actual ruins that Jesus would have been in to teach. But in 1969, archaeologists discovered these trenches around, and they discovered the original foundation, and they, and they found these stone pavements underneath the floors that are already existing, and they go back to the 1st century. So while these are not the exact ruins that you see, this is the spot. It's here, in here, Jesus spoke and walked and talked. It's, it's really it's humbling. We, there, you're going to see there's a lot of alleged stuff over in the Holy Lands. <laughs> you know, this is allegedly where this happened and allegedly where this happened. This is actually a place we can look at and say, wow, Jesus, Jesus stood here. That's, that's just pretty awesome to me. So that really begs the question as to what is a synagogue? If you had to give a definition of synagogue, what, what, was, what were these synagogues? We hear about it a lot. Okay, it was a meeting place. Um, actually, the word synagogue means um, uh, gathering places. Uh, that is that it's its literal translation. So, as we might say, an auditorium, right? Uh, what happened in the synagogues? Torah, the law, was was read um, and interpreted inside of these um, inside of here. As well, and they also had what was known as the leader of the synagogue. And his job is very interesting because he's not the one who reads and interprets Torah. Uh, his job is mainly as a librarian, custodian, a worship committee, uh, maybe even a school teacher, just depending on, on uh, the, the place and everything else. But his job as the leader of the synagogue is to bring those in who can read and interpret law and Torah. Who is doing the teaching in our text on this day? Jesus, right? So Jesus uh, is the one who is, uh, is, is doing this. Now, what is, how do the crowds react to Jesus' teaching? What does it say? They're astonished. Look that word up. It means to be utterly astounded to a degree as to nearly one, lose one's mental composure. They are just absolutely floored. And what is it about Jesus' teaching that just floors them? Okay, yeah, Michael got it here. He speaks with authority. And, and it, you know, you think about that, it's like, well, what about these other people? Don't they speak with authority? Well, there is a certain authority, and we'll come back to that. Uh, but this word authority is a big word for Mark. He uses it nine times in, in the book of Mark. Six of those times it refers to Jesus' authority. Three of those times it speaks of the apostles' authority, that had been given to them by Jesus. Jesus is the authority over a domain, a sphere. 
they're recognizing this, the people who, who are here. So Mark 1, and we see this, he places great emphasis upon the authority of God. He is the one that the prophets spoke of. He is Yahweh who has come down the heavenly road. He is the one whom the Father says, this is my son, whom I am well pleased, whom I, my beloved. This is the one, the Holy Spirit, has come and, and lives in him. And, and we see all of these things that have been happening and now we're going to see something else that's going to be uh, very important as well. So in Mark, the person of Jesus, listen to this, the person of Jesus is more important than, than, exa than exactly what he says. That doesn't mean what Jesus said is not important. We know that, which really should, should you know, cause some red flags to go up, and, and it should say something to us about Jesus. I think all of us say, well, Jesus' words are so important. But what Mark is trying to do is for, he's trying to help us see that Jesus, his essence, who he is, that's the way you filter out the words that come from Christ. Folks, this is, this is, this is so big. You're going to see this. You're gonna, Mark's going to talk about Jesus' teaching, and he's going to show the response of people who heard Jesus speaking but he's not going to really tell us anything Jesus says. Not like Matthew does. And the reason is, and this is what we've said uh, in here before, each one of the gospel writers has an agenda. They have something that they want you to see about Jesus. And what they want you to see is this great authority of Jesus. And that's what's packed behind the words that he speaks. Okay? So the way Jesus taught was different than who, according to the text, according to the people. Who? The scribes. All right. Can anyone tell me what is a scribe? Okay. And, uh, yeah, they... Um, they uh, were experts, what we might call them, experts uh, in Torah. And, and so what they would do is they could read it, and then they could interpret it. Uh, they would teach based upon those things, okay? Um, we also know that this was very important to have scribes back in the day, and even times before that. Why? Why? Yeah, illiteracy was, was a huge issue. Not many people could read and write, folks. So there was this real need uh, for not only for the Jews, it was especially important for the Jews because of what, what they bring to us, but it was also very important for all the world. Uh, and Ezra, it seems, that he is the first, at least what we have in Scripture, he is the first of those that are called scribes, and he becomes the first in this long line of scribes. Uh, so because they were experts, these are the ones who are going to come in and read and interpret the law, okay? And they became known as rabbis. Anybody know what rabbi means? Teacher? Anybody know the literal? My great one, okay? My great one. That is the literal translation. And this is the way they were 
the way they were ta- uh, treated them as well. They were the ones who had the, the first seats in the synagogue. When they entered a room, everybody stood. When they walked down the street, if you pass by these, these rabbis, these, these great teachers of Torah, then people bowed to them. Okay? So I want you to, I'm trying to paint you uh, a good little picture here. So Mark is establishing the authority of Jesus. And the authority of Jesus is over the authority of the synagogues. It is over the authority of the scribes. This is, this is exactly what he is trying to do in here. And guess who it was that continually um, fought against Jesus? The synagogues and the scribes. In the book of Mark, we find only one positive, one positive of these, of these groups. 18 other times we see that they are fighting against Jesus. And the question is, why? Why do you think they did this? Think, okay, I think that was a big part of things. They liked when people bowed to them. They liked it when people stood up them when they walked into rooms. They like being looked at as the authority. And Jesus comes in and he's doing something that they haven't been able to do, which is just absolutely astonish the crowds. But I think also they just didn't know who Jesus was. But Jesus's authority was greater. That's like, well, how is it greater? Let me give you an example. So these rabbis, they would, they would say, Moses said, or they would say, the great rabbi said, when, when they looked into these things. Um, but Jesus taught as one who had the authority of God in heaven. One whom the spirit of God was living in him. This, is, this goes right back to his baptism. The way he taught was different. It wasn't, he, he was not leaning on these others. And look, that's, that's not to try to cut down the scribes and say, well, these rabbis and scribes, that they were no good. Now, listen, I do the same thing. You know, how do I teach? I teach, you know, okay, listen, this is what Mark says. Or I'll say, listen, you know, there's this, this scholar, and, and I learned from him, and this is something that I learned about this text that I just never had seen before. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the point, is to to try to elevate me above the scribes either. The whole point is that Jesus is the ultimate authority. Okay? All right, let's keep going. Uh, So somebody read for us verses 23 through 26. Okay. So here we see his authority over the earthly realm. The earthly realm um, of teachers, of those who are experts in the law. And now, what do we find he's authority over? Spiritual realm, okay? And we see there there is this great conflict between the kingdom of God 
and the domain of Satan. You see this. This is, I think, very important as to, um, to the conflict that is really happening and why Jesus' authority is so great, okay? So this domain of Satan uh, is what now Jesus takes on. And, and there's a couple of things that, that I noticed that I think is interesting. One is, where is the demon-possessed man? He's in the synagogue. Does that seem odd to you? It's like, what are they doing in the synagogues? Did you know five times in the book of Mark, we're going to learn about demon-possessed people in the synagogues? It's a place they didn't mind hanging out. And I think it shows to where the synagogues had gone at this particular point. These are the people who hate Jesus. These are the people who are hard-hearted. Uh, these were the people that um, even persecuted, tried to persecute Jesus. Folks, it's not a surprise, or it shouldn't be a surprise, that this is where they're hanging out. And, and we could also make the same case for the church, couldn't we? I mean, just because it's a synagogue, just because it's a church, just because it's a temple, listen, we've got to make sure that we are very open to the authority of Jesus. We've got to make sure that we are very open to what Jesus has to say to us, and, and that's what we are to be, and, and not to be so proud of... Um, of our own selves and our own teachings and, and, and worried about, you know, what other people, um, this or that. So Jesus's authority, um, he had as a teacher, but now Jesus demonstrates his authority in his teaching by, by healing this man of the spirit. And I don't know if you caught it in the text, it said us, Referring to the unclean spirit, which means what? Okay, there's more than one. Okay, that's not uncommon. Uh, so Jesus commands them to obey the demons. Do they obey? Do they put up a fight? Do they call Jesus names, bad names? Uh, the text does not show that at all. In fact, they just obey. And the reason is that Jesus has dominion over the domain of Satan. Do you see this? He has that authority over the domain of Satan. That is very important as to why Jesus has come. Okay? And so Mark refers to this creature as what? What is the name he gives it? It's just an unclean spirit. All right. Hopefully you are still reading um, through the First Testament with us as a church. And when we're going through there, especially when you go through the you know, second part of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we hear this word unclean a lot. What does it mean? What does it mean to be unclean? Defiled, contaminated, um, impure before God, right? That's what these creatures are. So what do you think it does to a person who has an unclean spirit in them? They're unclean. 
Why is, is someone with an unclean spirit at a synagogue? And, and, it, and it's very important as to what Jesus does for this man. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But something else that's interesting is, as I said, they don't call him an ugly name. But they do call him something. What? The Holy One of God. Okay. Is that a shocker to anybody? That these unclean spirits are referring to Jesus as the Holy One of God? And by the way, this may be a reference to Samson. You know, we, we just read Samson. And what a lot of people don't realize is that Samson is a type or a shadow of Jesus, which is, which is crazy for us to say because we just think of Samson as this womanizer and, you know, he, he gave in to Delilah and all this kind of, But there's a lot of things about Samson. Uh, maybe I should uh, probably should blog about that. Uh, but one of the things that comes from here in Judges 16, 17, and it says, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have uh, been a Nazarite of God. And the word Nazarite means holy, consecrated, devoted. He is the holy of God, a Nazarite of God since his mother's womb. Samson has a Nazarite vow. Jesus is from where? Nazareth. It's, it's the same root words, folks. It's the same root words. And Samson was the one who is, he came and God uses him to conquer what group of people? The Philistines, right? I mean, they were, they were like, they were the arch rivals of, of Israel. Jesus has come, the Holy One of God. And he has come to conquer what? The domain of Satan. That's what he has come to conquer. And he's going to do a better job than, than Samson did. And later on in chapter 3 and verse 27, uh, it says that Jesus is go he's going to bind the strong man. And it's referring to Satan and his minions is, is what we find there. Now, there's something else. Uh, why did Jesus tell these unclean spirits not to say anything? You are the Holy One of God. Shh, stop. Doesn't want anybody else to know? Uh, there's some problems with that, right? He speaks about a kingdom is, is near, right? He, he's going to be the, the king. And, and so what would that, what kind of pressure would that bring upon him? Yes, did not want him to know who he was just yet. Um, but the Romans, would not the Romans have, listen, it wasn't time. It wasn't time. And the other thing is, Jesus did not want the testimony of unclean spirits. And one reason is because they could begin to, to mislead them the people on top of everything else. So, so these, this is the things that are going on. All right, let's go back to our reading. Somebody read for us verses 27 and 28. All right, so how do the crowds react to this great miracle of an unclean spirit being cast out of this man? 
What does it say? Yeah, they're amazed. It's a different word than the, than the one before. Um, but notice it means to be affected with wonder. It's a result of some unusual event. I would say casting out a demon is a pretty unusual event. And, and they are just amazed um, at this Jesus. And of course, they go out and tell everyone. <laughs> so not only has an unclean spirit been expelled, but I think what is also very important for us to understand is that this man with the unclean spirit has now been cleaned. Yes, he's been cleaned. This man, so we don't need to underestimate what was happening with these spirits. And they were oppressing. That's a word that is used here. They tormented humans. And, and you can read about them. You can see the ones where they cast them into the fire and they try to drown them. And they, they you know, they're naked and they're, they, they're strong enough to break chains. I mean, they're just these awful things. And Jesus, he, he has come and he has rescued this man from the domain of, of Satan. Folks, we've said it, it's been pointing it out, that there is another exodus coming. And this exodus has begun. And it, he's coming to take, take us out of the domain of Satan. He's already getting the demons and the unclean spirits out. He has proved that he can lead this exodus. He can lead us from this domain um, of, of Satan. Okay, let's keep going. Somebody read verses 29 through 31. Okay, um, before we get into the heart of the story, I don't know if you've been catching this or not. We find these words immediately. There, Eleven times, uh, Mark uses the same Greek word. In chapter 1, immediately. Now, there are two places um, in the English Standard Version that we're using. Uh, in verse 43 and also verse 28, it says, at once. At once. That's the same word. And, and I actually took a, a green pygmy pen, and I just underline every time. Because guess what? Forty more times Mark is going to use this word throughout the gospel, his gospel. 40 more times. Do you, you, you see this sense that Mark has? Okay, immediately, uh, you know, and again, because he's showing this, it, it's, it's like he's rushing to get to the end. It's like he's rushing to get to the end. So anyway, that's just something to be mindful of. So after casting out an unclean spirit in the middle of a synagogue service, um, this miracle seems a little anticlimactic, doesn't it? Who does Jesus heal? Okay, Simon, and when we say Simon, we also mean Peter, right, Simon, Simon Peter, Peter. Uh, so evidently he loved his mother-in-law. <laughs> Otherwise he'd have said, Jesus, please. You know, go, you don't, you know, this, this is too, too small for you. What's wrong, what's wrong, and by the way, Peter lives in Capernaum, and this is the alleged home of Peter, 
And you will see, here's the synagogue ruins, and this is believed to be where Peter, Peter's house is. There's a church on top of it now and all these kind of great things. Uh, and it's possible that is, we know Peter lived in Capernaum. So it's possible this, is, this would be his house. Um, but what was wrong with Peter's mother-in-law? She's sick, specifically. She has a fever. Okay. What causes fevers? <laughs> a lot of things, right? Guess what Mark doesn't tell us? Exactly what the problem is. Because that's what, Mark doesn't do that. Um, now, we do know from, from Deuteronomy, there were those who believed that those who had fevers was because of a divine punishment. Some believe it was a form of uh, demon possession as well. But listen, what, what he's really wanting us to see is Jesus as a healer, okay? He's not going into all the specifics. We just know this girl, she had uh, some kind of fever. She had some kind of illness. And, and what Mark is trying to show us is Jesus has the authority to heal people with fevers, whatever that issue may have been. He can cast out unclean spirits out of the demonic realm. Um, and so he takes her by the hand. He lifts her up, right? It's a very important word. It connects to Jesus' ministry when he would heal people, raise them from the dead, because it connects to him. Jesus will be raised up. Jesus uh, will uh, on the cross, and then, of course, his resurrection. And, and here's something interesting, and we're not going to cover it because I'll deal with it in worship, but what is her response to being healed? She gets up and starts serving. Really fascinating. All right, let's keep going. Somebody read for us verses uh, 32 through 34. All right. So what happens now? He's healing people of demons that are oppressing. He heals people who are sick, all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. And it's expanded. It's gone from this person with a fever, this person with an unclean spirit, to the whole town that comes out, and Jesus just heals them all. Jesus just, he just heals them all. What it means is God's rule is advancing. He is the one who has come down to seek the weak and the vulnerable. He is the one who is the compassionate king of Isaiah 35. And look what it says in Isaiah 35. The eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap, the mute will sing. Does that sound very familiar to Jesus' ministry? Yes. And, and we don't have it in Mark, but in others, John the Baptist, when he is, he's put in prison, he sends a messenger and says, go ask him, are you the one? And you know what Jesus said? Go tell him what you see. Because that is messianic. That is what the Messiah was to come, and that's what he did. Now, here's an interesting question. Why do you think they all waited until sundown to come out? Word had spread fast. I'll give you a hint. What day was it? Not Sunday. Sabbath. Okay, Sabbath began at sundown on, um, sundown on Friday night, and it ended at sundown on Saturday. 
And during that time, you couldn't work and you couldn't travel. Okay? So it's sundown, and guess what? Everybody's there now. Everybody is there. Uh, I don't really... Uh, the prophet said that God is going to banish the idols, uh, the names of the idols in his day, and I believe that idols have a lot to do with the demonic world. There were things that were happening with these jokers, and, and I believe that the domain of Satan was absolutely behind it. Uh, once again, we're seeing that Jesus is the authority over all these things. And once again, he does, he does that, that really kind of crazy thing, and he says, listen, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Oh, it's just, it's crazy. We don't have time to read Isaiah 49, but Isaiah 49 in verse 2, it talks about um, the, the power of the one who's coming, the servant king, and it says that he will be hid. It will be hid like someone in the shadows, someone like an arrow in a quiver and this type of thing. And so Jesus is not really going to reveal who he is, his real enthronement is going to come when? It's in a crazy place. It's the cross. It's the cross. And we'll see that as we go. This was his enthronement. In fact, does anyone know the first person who acknowledged Jesus as the Son of God at the crucifixion? Centurion. I should have brought a moon pie. I'll get you a moon pie. Very good. It's a centurion, right? Guess what? The first person who says it is a representative of the nations. So Mark tells these demons that they are commanded to be silent. He does this three times in Mark. We've just seen two of those. He also, with his miracles, one uh, raising the dead and someone who was blind and deaf, and so he's going to tell them, be silent. Don't tell anybody. We also know... Um, He's going to tell his disciples on two occasions, listen, don't say anything. And then we know that Jesus withdraws from the crowds a couple of times so that people do not discover who he is, right? Can you think of one other, this is another moon pie award here too, uh, but can you remember one other area that Jesus concealed? Parables. Parables. Jesus, Jesus out in public would say these things, and then, then inside he would talk to his disciples, and he would try to help them understand. He'd talk about his death. He'd talk about his coming again and things of this sort, uh, even though they didn't quite get it all. But even, the parables were used as a means of secrecy. And it's just crazy. It's like, well, wh isn't that why he's here? For, to show that he is the one. Well, guess what we find out? It is very difficult to keep things hidden. <laughs> People are not very good at staying quiet. And, and we're going to see that, especially next week with a leper uh, and what happens with him. All right, you're dismissed.